So how many of you have heard of status quo? I know you don't like raising hands. How many of you heard of status quo before? I am surprised that many of you like that type of music. That is very surprising to me. Yes, status. Thank you, Raj. That's excellent. Status quo, top left, dates back to the 60s. They are a head-banging, long hair, Leonard Skinner sounding... well, if I compare somebody to Leonard Skinner, that's a compliment, by the way. And so, so they are like Southern Rock in England. I mean, they bring it. I'm just surprised some of you listen to that kind of stuff. I mean, it doesn't seem to be Ozarkian, kind of bluegrassy, ding, 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 ding. You know, it doesn't seem to be that. Some of y'all looking at me really weird. I'm not sure what's... Oh, y'all meant status quo. The other... Oh, okay. Y'all were thinking of the Latin term that refers to a condition of existing affairs or the state of existing conditions. Believe it or not, it's a cognitive bias. And what I mean by bias is this, that there is an irrational attraction or affection or affiliation to an existing standard or set of conditions that makes one not want to change. How many of you just love change in your life every day? Most of us kind of love status quo, do we not? I mean, that's the American culture. I pull up to the drive-thru, I want it quick, I want it hot, fresher than it's ever been before, and it's a gourmet meal that comes in a box that's about this big. And so, so that's the status quo. And in fact, in church world, this is what you hear all the time, but we've always done it this way, or my favorite, which is the one that I really like to X out is, we've never done it that way before. Y'all, I know y'all have heard that in church world. Well, believe it or not, guess what? That has been a struggle for the church dating all the way back to the very early church, the first church. As Peter leaves Cornelius' house that we were talking about last week, here's Cornelius. He's a soldier. He'd been hated by the Jews. He's a Gentile, so he is doubly hated by the Jews, yet... Here's a soldier who was not allowed to convert to Judaism, yet he worshiped and feared Yahweh. And so Peter was brought to him because an angel came to Cornelius in a vision and brought Peter there. And as Peter preached, the Bible said the Holy Spirit came down on them and they were saved. And so Peter is so excited. He has to walk from Caesarea all the way back down to Joppa, 25 miles, Joppa, all the way back to Jerusalem, another 25 miles. I don't know how many of you guys walk during the week, but 50 miles is probably not your regiment. But that's Peter's role. He walks 50 miles to get back to Jerusalem. He can't wait to share the good news. Y'all are not going to believe it. This soldier, his entire family, they came to know Jesus. They were speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit came, and guess how the church responded when he got there? We ain't never done it that way before. It said they were very critical of him. I cannot believe, listen, this is their response. We're going to read it in just a minute. Their response was, you actually had a meal with Gentiles? Because you know if you had a meal with them in the Jewish culture, that was the same as accepting them. And so you've got to be kidding me, Peter. They missed the whole part about salvation. They got caught up in the method, the, the method that was being used by Peter and what they lost fact or side of was the message that Peter was teaching. And so church this morning, here's what I want us to focus on for just a minute. Anytime, anytime we come up with a different method in order to reach people, not changing the message, we're going to talk about the thing that is non-negotiable in this church. And what's non-negotiable in this church is the message. But what has to constantly change and what has to constantly be in flux is the method by which we share that message because I can tell you people are not flocking to churches on Sunday morning. In case y'all don't know, 10th straight year, church attendance in the U.S. is down again. 10th straight year. People are not flocking in here to, to boot you out of your seat. So if you've got a favorite seat, you'll probably get it every week. And so what do we need to do? We need to find different ways to reach people with the exact same message. The thing that we're not going to change is the same thing Peter didn't change or compromise. 
He never once compromised the message about Jesus, the gospel, but what he was doing was changing his method. Now he's having meals. He's having meals with Gentiles, people who would have been rejected. And he's coming back and he's celebrating and he's sharing that news. And yet here's the difficulty. The rest of the church didn't share his same enthusiasm. So we want to talk about what this means. What do you and I do with the status quo? And I don't mean the English rock band that sounds like Leonard Skinner. I'm talking about the status quo. What do we do with the existing state of affairs? But please hear me. Here's where I want the challenge to go today. It's not just to the church, us, collectively. What about your own spiritual status quo you came in with this morning? Don't raise your hand or nod your head, but how many of you have grown very lax and comfortable in your journey with the Lord? How many would say, yes, I'm definitely growing. I'm a far more advanced Christ follower today than what I was at this time last year. My knowledge is so much deeper. My devotion is so much deeper. My obedience is clear. And so this morning, we want to talk about status quo as a church, but then we want to talk about status quo as the church. So pray with me and let's study. Father, we love you. We thank you again that you have already been here and been with us through one worship service, through our connection groups, and Lord, through this vocal time of praise and worship, we thank you that you are here. We, we count on it. We trust it because your word promises that. And so, Father, all we want to do in these next few moments is to bring you glory. Father, we want to honor you, and here's how we plan on doing that. We're going to take the same message that Peter would have understood, and we're not going to alter it any. We're going to teach it just as you have printed it. And Father, at the end of this day, the way we want to honor you is that we want to have our own status quo changed. That, Father, we never want to settle. And it's not about changing methods just so we can add more people. Lord, the Bible says in the book of Acts, you're the one who grows the church. So our job is not to grow the church. Father, it's about changing our methods just so we can add to your kingdom so you have more glory, you have more honor, you have more children brought to you. Give us wisdom to understand how to do that well without ever at one moment sacrificing the message that we must stand on. Lord, give us that wisdom because that's a precious gift. We thank you that you're going to in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Look at verse 1 out of chapter 11. Uh, Just like last week's time together, There are some verses I'm not going to read to you from 1 all the way through 18 because you're about to hear the same story for the third time. And y'all are very sharp. You're good Bible students, and so I'm not going to read to you everything, and I'll just have you follow along when we get there. Start in verse 1. The apostles and the brothers and sisters. Uh, That is not what's actually there in the Greek. It's actually one word, adelphos. So apostles and then adelphos. Adelphos is where we get the word Philadelphia, meaning brotherly love. So it's not just the leadership. It's the people that love each other. So, So get this. Even in this phrase, the way Luke has written this, what is the church? It's a group of people that has leadership, the apostles, and they what? They love each other. They have care or concern for each other. And so this is the group he's going back to. These aren't enemies. Peter is going back to people where he is a leader. He is going back to people that actually have, they have feelings for him. They have emotional attachment to him. The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Uh, The word of God in your translation, word may be capitalized, it may not be. There's two different ways to view that word. It's logos in Greek, logos. Logos is the word used for gospel. Logos is the word used for scripture. And logos is the word used for Jesus. In John 1.1, what we call the prologue, 
prologue is like, here is how it all started. So in John 1, 1, it reads this way, in the beginning was the logos. We translate that as word. That doesn't necessarily mean like scripture, but it does mean scripture because you do know that the scripture is Holy Spirit inspired. And, and so this is not a book about God. This is a message from God. And so in the beginning was the word. So God's eternal word existed before anything else existed. Jesus existed before anything else existed. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit existed before anything else existed. And so here's what Luke is saying. They've accepted the whole story. They didn't just accept what we would call the gospel message. They've accepted the whole truth about God. And so, buddy, Peter must have preached for a long time when he was there. Because this is a lot of information they have accepted according to what Luke tells us. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, uh, remember on the map, you know, like, like we now live up in Ozark country and we drive down to Mississippi to go visit family. It's down because it's south on the map. Um, that's not what this means. It said when he went up to Jerusalem, and sometimes it, it will say he went down from, it's because Jerusalem sat at the highest sea level. And so when you went up, literally, you were kind of going up into the mountains. And so kind of like the Ozarks, you know, when you come out of the flat part around Bolivar and you start going up a little bit higher. And so, again, that's what we're talking about. He went up into Jerusalem. But notice this. The circumcision party criticized him. Uh, circumcision party is also referred to, your text may say, the legalizers. Here's the issue there. These people who are Christians, they're Christ followers. So, so they've accepted Jesus as Messiah. They've accepted his atonement sacrifice, yet they are still so just deeply entrenched in Judaism, they can't let go of the law. So, so we call them legalizers. Here's the problem. They were like most of the Jews of that era. They so valued the law that they forgot about the God that the law was to point to. Why do we make sacrifices? Because it reminds us of God forgiving us of our sins. They lost track of that. It became, hey, we're going to offer sacrifices in order to keep God happy, and if God's happy, then he's going to give us good things. That's kind of like the Santa Claus relationship, but that's not God. And so they, they had lost sight of what the law, the legal side, was all about. Remember, the legal side was to help people relate to a holy God. Remember our Levitical study? The same slide went up every week. Leviticus, it would be right in the center. It would say Leviticus, an unholy people relating to a holy God. That was the whole study. And, and so the law was designed to help me and you to be able to relate to a God that's holy and we're not. But actually what happened to the Jews is the law almost became God. Keeping the law became more important than knowing the God who gave them the law. And so here's what they said. All these Judaizers, these legalizers, there's about three different terms you can use for them, the circumcision party. Their rules were this. If you're going to be a Christian, you must convert to Judaism first. Meaning you've got to keep all the same stuff we've always kept. And so they're about to have their status quo challenged a whole bunch. And in fact, because their status quo had been challenged, notice how they responded to Peter's message. They criticized him. And here's the word criticized. They weren't really critical. That's not that word, even though we translate it that way. It means to doubt or waver. So Peter shows up and says, hey, let me tell you what happened. Here's their response. Doubt it. Doubt it. Doubt it. That They were unwilling to waver on their position. And so, again, they are doubtful of what Peter's about to say. Here's what they said to him. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. See, their only concern was this. You just violated the code. We have a code, Peter. 
Gentiles, they're not a part of the covenant. And if you're going to associate with a Gentile, that's the same thing as accepting a Gentile. You, you do understand that we can accept people, but we don't have to agree 100% with what they think, do, or say. You, you do understand that, right? We can accept people. So, so like if a couple came in and there was a same-sex couple came into our church, we are not going to turn them away at the door. In fact, if I see any of my guys doing that, I'm putting Dave on them. And, and so we would never turn them away. Now, here's the thing. Are we going to agree and tell them that their lifestyle is acceptable before a holy God? No, because the message can't change. And so we've got to figure out a way to reach people lovingly without being rejecting or critical of those people. And so here's what Peter was saying. Um, you're accusing me of violating law just because I had a meal and you haven't even heard the story yet. Notice, they haven't heard the story yet. He's just now getting to the good part. They haven't even waited for the good part before they became critical. So verse 4, Peter began to explain to them step by step. The word explain is extethemi in Greek, and extethemi literally means to expound upon. And, and so here's the deal. If we ever make a decision here at the church and you don't like that decision, please hear me. Do not get on Facebook and gripe and complain. Come see me. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to offer you very researched, well-thought-out, logical reasons for why we have made this change. So you're still going to leave disgruntled, but at least I will explain it to you. So you need to hear the explanation. Peter says, you didn't even get a chance. You didn't give me a chance to explain yet. So he starts to explain. So here's the part I'm not going to read to you because you've already seen it. Uh, verse 5 all the way down to verse 14. Just look up here at the screen, and I'll tell you the story. Peter comes back. He's telling them what's about to happen. They're already throwing out their hands like, you had a meal with Gentiles. They haven't heard the story yet. He's just now getting ready to get to the story. So what's the story? Man, I went up to the roof to pray. Y'all know the story, right? We've heard this three times. I went up to the roof to pray. I went into this trance, and this sheet about the size of a sailboat, the sailboat sail comes down out of heaven. Now remember, if it comes down out of heaven, that's from whom? God, according to the Jews, heaven is where God abides. And so, so if it's a message from heaven, that's a message from God. And it was held, this sheet was held by four corners. Remember the word corners is not corners. It's the word arhi. Arhi in Greek means the beginning or the first cause. And so what this message indicates from God is what I'm about to give to you dates all the way back to Adam and Eve. Like this is the original. So since it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, it trumps anything else you have received. So what I'm giving you is the new status quo. I'm rocking your old status quo of dietary restrictions, and I'm giving you a brand new status quo, and that's exactly what happened with the sheep. These four corners are a new status quo. And what did he tell Peter? Get up, kill, and eat. Remember, kill didn't mean kill. It means to sacrifice. Here's how you worship me. You'll worship me through obedience. You'll worship me by giving thanks for the provision I'm just giving to you. And so Peter says, hey, while this was going on, literally, while I'm having this vision, these three guys call out to me, hey, Peter, are you up there? And Peter goes, how would you know I'm up here? Well, the angel told Cornelius who sent us that you'd be here. And, and so Peter understands, wait a minute, an angel visited Cornelius, an angel visited Moses and gave him the scriptures. And so if an angel came to him, man, this must be from God too. So I got a sheet from God that's breaking the status quo. Now I've got a Gentile who the angels are speaking to, who have sent for me by name, and I don't know him at all. This must be from God. Status quo is really being changed. Because Peter, as he's making his 25-mile journey from Joppa all the way up to Caesarea, has got to be thinking in his mind, what does a Roman centurion need with Peter? I mean, he's got to be just a little anxious, just a little bit scared. Why is a centurion sending for me? And not only is he sending for me, he's having me come to his house. 
They didn't do that. The Gentiles, this is a Yahweh fear. He knew a Jewish man, a good Jewish man, is not going to come to his Gentile house. And yet, this is exactly what happened. Here Peter is in the bottom left talking to Cornelius and his family. Notice what Peter says. I'll tell you what. Here's what Peter says. Listen, real quickly, go to verse 14. He will speak a message to you. So, So here's the deal. This is talking about Peter. So this is the angel sharing with Cornelius what Peter's gonna do. He, Peter, will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. Y'all, it's hard for us to imagine how big that statement is. This angel sent from God is speaking to a Gentile and tells the Gentile he's going to be saved. You know, for a Jew, that is unheard of. There's nobody that can be a part of the covenant if they're not Jewish. So so God is now saving Gentiles. They've never been a part of the covenant. Now, God, you talk about status quo rocking. Y'all, this is first church status quo crushing. I mean, God is just wiping out the status quo in this this instance. Verse 15, as I began to speak, so now Peter goes back to first person. Now he's not telling a story. He's telling his story. The Holy Spirit came down on them just on us at the beginning. Uh, So here's the deal. Remember, came down doesn't mean like come down. Came down means epipipto. It means to squeeze or press together so that they become one. So, so it's a pressing together so that they become one thing. You do know that's what happened to you at the point of salvation. The Holy Spirit so pressed within you that now you are one. Why did that happen? Not only is it God's seal, it really wasn't about you. You do understand that's Jesus having his prayer answered that he asked the Father. Y'all remember that prayer? Jesus is praying to the Father. Father, I pray that they would be one with me as I am with you. You know what the Father said to that prayer? Okay. No, no, Father, really. I am in you, and you are in me. I am a part of you. You are a part of me. No, Father, I'm saying, I want them to be one with me as I am with you. And what did the Father say? Okay. And so what happened at your point of salvation? You became one with God. God became one with you. You are a part of him. He is a part of you. The Spirit moved in. You are pressed together as one. But notice Peter is talking about Gentiles. Y'all, these are legalizers. They're not going to take this well. They're not excited by this salvation story. In fact, they would be quite upset by this salvation story. But notice what Peter says. He goes back to Scripture. He's about to quote a prophecy. I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter just did a Jesus thing. You know, Jesus did this all the time, right? He would say, have you not read? Have you not heard that he would quote a prophecy and say, da-da? Literally, this, Jesus did this all the time. Read the book of Matthew again. You want to see prophecy fulfilled. Jesus says, have you not read? Have you not heard? There it is. And he gives the example. What did Peter just do? Man, when all this was going on, I remembered. I remember Jesus saying, John's going to baptize with water, but you, talking about the apostles, you're going to baptize and be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here's what Peter just did. It was a Jesus thing. He said, prophecy was just fulfilled, and I saw it. God used me to fulfill prophecy. Would that not be cool that there would be a prophecy in God's holy, eternal Scripture, and he used you to fulfill it? Would that not be awesome? And so Peter is sharing this story. Verse 17. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? Three key words there, same, esos in Greek. Uh, It means identical. So here's what he just said to the Judaizers. All right, so these Gentiles who have not converted to Judaism just received the same Holy Spirit that we received. 
y'all do understand, you can't separate God. There's not like a little bit of God for non-Jewish Christians and a different God, a, a whole lot more of God for the Jewish Christians. He's like, listen, they just got Esos. They just got the same, like an isosceles. They, they just got the same. It's, it's identical. So that he gave us when what happened? When we believed. Y'all remember, we cover this every time that we get to this word, and it's important that you remember. Belief is pistevo in Greek. It literally means think to be true. It's not a feeling. I didn't feel like Jesus was Savior. I had a logical thought process, and then I acted on that thought process and accepted him. It's not a, it's not a feeling thing. I, oh, man, I had a feeling. You know, don't eat sausage for breakfast the next time. Try something different. It's probably indigestion. Take a Tums. You'll get over it. But what you don't get over is what? That you believe Jesus is the very Son of God. You don't get over that. Why? Because it's a logical thought process. Somebody told me truth. God gave me the gift of faith, according to Ephesians 2, to believe that truth. So he acted upon me first. I wasn't seeking him. He sought me. But when I received that gift, then I thought to be true what I heard in Scripture about Jesus. And then, boom, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. I am forever saved. Salvation's not a feeling. It is a thinking process. Now, it does not mean you want to experience emotion because God's made us emotional creatures. But salvation is a thinking process. And so he thought to be true. All these Christians thought to be true. And so notice how Peter concludes then. If this is happening to the Gentiles, how could I possibly hinder God? You you do understand this. That's not really what that says. You do understand you cannot hinder God. If God has decided to do something, who, no, don't. That's a, okay. I'm going to ask the question anyway. Nobody answer. If God has decided to do something, who in this room is going to stop him? Because there'd be somebody foolish enough, not y'all, but somebody out there go, oh, good, no. It's a rhetorical question. I already know the answer. I'm just asking. If God decides to do something, who can stop him? Nobody. So, so that's not what Peter is saying. The word hinder is the word kolyo in Greek, and it's a word that means to be in opposition to. So here's what Peter said. Yes, this is against my status quo. Killing and eating animals that have always been unclean, that's against my status quo. Walking all the way to a Gentile's house that I've never met, walking into a soldier's home, that's against my status quo. Yet when I started to preach the word and they all believed it, they all received the same Holy Spirit I had, my status quo just got chunked out the window. Because God is not expecting the world to revolve around what I find as the existing conditions that I desire, but what he so desires. How can I be in opposition to God? And he's saying that like that's absolutely impossible. How could a Christ follower be in opposition to God? The answer is we cannot if we're being a true Christ follower. When they heard this, they became silent. See, see, here's what happens. When people come to you and they're acting out of emotion and they're all hyped up, if you will actually speak to them logically at some point, they will calm back down. I spent 10 and a half years in law enforcement doing that. For those that did not, I tased them. And, And so when you come see me, when you come see me, there's two options. You will calm down or get tased. That is the result. Every I'm just kidding. I don't have a taser. It's a joke. I just shoot people, not tase them. Okay, so... And they glorified God, saying, so then, God has given repentance, resulting in life even to the Gentiles. Here's the part I don't want you to miss. Church, what those 18 verses are about, they are about status quo, but but it's even simpler than that. 
Those 18 verses are about communication. A message not changing, but how it's presented, to whom it's presented, when it's presented, that constantly changing. So, so, so it's this thought between method and message. And in case you don't know, this is the way communication has been since communication. This story, the story is man has always desired to communicate something. However, the way we've communicated that something throughout the years has changed generationally. Um, I still think the text message was the most impressive one, 160 characters in 42 seconds, and he's texting about a piranha, all the scientific names. And so that's, that's very impressive. Here's the deal. In Christianity, from the time that the persecution started, what was God's design in the persecution? It was caused the Christians not to remain comfortable and in their status quo in Jerusalem, but it was to cause those Christians to have to spread out and scatter because of difficulty. And when they were spreading out and scattering, what did not change about them? The message about Jesus, they started to share every place they went. So the methods changed. So, so over time, it went from carving letters in stone to, to flashing signals from a boat to, to writing them on a printing press to radio waves that you cannot see. Weirdest thing ever, I can speak in a room here and somehow my voice can somehow go out through this tower and go to your tower in your car and you can hear me talk. That's the weirdest thing in the world. And yet, yet we still use all of these new technologies, and every time a new technology comes out, AI and so forth and so on, we're always utilizing those. And and, and the thing for Christianity that we must see is that we have to constantly adapt as well. One of the most ridiculous things I've ever had said to me in 20 years of ministry was a guy sitting in my office telling me that the church I was pastoring needed to be like it was when he was nine years old, and this guy was in his mid-50s. I want our church to be like it was when I was nine. You know what my response was? Name for me one thing in your world that's like it was when you were nine. Your parents? No. TV shows? No. Your body? No. Your job? No. So why on earth would you want church to be stuck back in the 1950s? Nothing wrong with the 50s, except for the fact I didn't exist. I've enjoyed it since then a whole lot more. So, so here, here's our whole point. Church, we need to be willing to embrace the new. Now, new comes with research and clarity and making sure that we're on track. So, so if we're going to be challenged to embrace the new, let, let me give you an idea. Like having a guy come on a Thursday night and talk about patterning whitetail bucks in the Ozarks and advertising that and spending quite a bit of resource to advertise that to get 160 to 170 men in this room not to teach them about deer hunting. Did we give them that information from a very trained and qualified PhD? Yes, we did, because we would never be underhanded. But what they might not have known was, even though they should have figured out when you come to a church to hear about these things, is that guy at the end of his conclusion and presentation talked about the holes and the flaws in the evolutionary theory and landed on the gospel of Jesus. That's a very different method, but yet the message has not changed. One of the things our church prides itself on, and I don't mean boastfully, but I mean one of the things that we hang our hat on, this defines this church, is the teaching of the Word. So if you're down this hallway on a Sunday morning and you see people wearing orange shirts, here's what I can tell you is going to happen with them. They're going to teach the Word at some point. 
When you go downstairs and you're with Pastor Jeff, you're going to be taught the Word. When you go to our connection groups, you're going to be taught the Word. When you come in here, you're going to be taught the Word. Now, do we use different methods to do so? Yes. Amy and her crew back there aren't going to teach second graders the way I'm teaching you on a Sunday morning. We change the methods, but we do not change the message. And that's the part that will consistently define this church. So so we need to figure out new ways. But if we're going to do new things, here's what I can tell you. Expect some criticism. I've had people challenge me over 20 years. I had some people ask me literally about our men's event. Hey, man, um, I know sometimes men just need to get together and need to have fellowship. But is there any spiritual component to deer hunting? Um, The way we're going to present deer hunting, yeah. But, but they had questions. You know, why, why are we doing a deer hunting event at church? You know, we could do that at the Key Club or Lions Club or Kiwanis or whatever it may be. But why are y'all doing that at church? Well, we're, we're, we're changing the method. We're, we're trying to do something a little bit different. Stuffing paper into backpacks and giving away $40,000 worth of material on a Friday night. Why? So people see the love of Jesus in action. Changing the methods, but not altering the message. And here's the thing you can expect criticism. There are going to be people who find holes in what we do. Remember what Peter did? He took time to explain. He didn't fight. He didn't criticize in return. You know, he, he could have easily said, well, you know, this is what every church should be doing. Why is your church not doing it? No, Peter took time to explain. Man, let me tell you about the vision. Let me tell you about the angel coming to Cornelius first, and he happens to be a Yahweh fearer, and me getting there, and as I started to preach, Holy Spirit came down, and they got saved, and they were speaking in tongues. And let me tell you, I mean, he was excited to explain it. Listen, you should never be offended if somebody challenges the change in your status quo. And see, now I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. So, so what if all of a sudden you start getting really serious about your faith and you start attempting new things because God has laid something on your heart. Has somebody come to me between the services? Hey, man, here's something I've been thinking about, and, and here's what my response to him was. That is an awesome idea. Do me some research. Find out if anybody in our area is already doing it because we don't want to be competitive with other churches. We don't want to step on toes. We want to do things that are new and fresh. That sounds really good, and if nobody's doing that, then I want you to get me some more information on how large that thing can be. Where can we do it? So so the person came to me with a great idea, but I didn't take their idea and run with it. What did I do? I gave it right back to them. God gave it to you. Do something with it. You come back to me, we'll talk about resources and how. But, But here's the deal. He took time to explain to me what he had in mind. It wasn't just, and he didn't respond with, well, that's what I'm telling you so the church can do it. Well, you do understand you're the church, and so I'm going to allow the church to do it. You come to me with a great idea, I'm going to hand it right back to you and say, hey, run with that. Can't wait to see how that turns out. That's going to be awesome. When is it happening? Because I want to put it on our calendar. And they're looking at me like, what? Yeah, so so be willing to explain. Number three, be open to changing personally. Again, here we go with our own status quo. Do not raise your hand. Do not raise your hand. How many in this room, how many in this room can honestly say beyond a shadow of a doubt you're a deeper, more mature, more committed, more obedient Christian right now at this point in your life than you were a year ago? So, So from September to September, you are more committed. You are less sinful now. You are not intentionally sinning like you were even a year ago. Uh, you're controlling tongue better, what you watch better, uh, how you think, your involvement in the local church, how you serve other people. Are you a deeper Christ follower now, one year later than what you were a year ago? If the answer is no, or I'm not sure, then you're in status quo. 
And God is never satisfied with status quo. It is a growth and continuing process, just like he's not with our church. Please hear me. We're always going to be looking for different ways to get more people here. And see, some people would say, Justin, we live in a community of 2,250 people. There's a church about every six feet. We've got five to 600 every Sunday. Is that, is that good enough? And my answer is, it's not about the number who are here. It's about the number who aren't here. You're already here. Get to work and let's grow. But what we need to be focused on are those that aren't here and don't take time for Jesus and don't know the peace and the joy and the satisfaction and the brotherly love that can come from a body of Christ. And so, no, we're never satisfied. Be sensitive to the Spirit. Uh, I will share this just as a real, real quick testimony. About 10 years ago, I was watching something on, on, I will leave the channel off. It was just on TV. But it was a religious channel. And, and there was a guy who was, you know, he was healing people and slapping folks on the head. And I'm watching this, and I was trying not to be critical. I truly was, because I do not want to criticize God if God is doing something. I want to be very guarded in how I'm critical of something else that I can't explain. But yet, here's my problem. When I'm watching something, and I look at Scripture, and I can't make Scripture align with TV, guess where I'm going to fall every time? With Scripture. And Scripture says the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts, and for the church universal and not so an individual can be, can be praised as some type of demigod himself. Well, the person I was having struggle with, I don't mind sharing with you that name now based on what came out just this last week. I was struggling watching Benny Hinn. And, and then I ended up dealing with a search committee, and Amanda was with me, and we're in that search committee, and I knew some people in that search committee, and this church was personal to Amanda and I, and I'm talking to this lady, and she said that she didn't tie to her local church. She gave all her resources to Benny Hinn. My search committee process ended that night. Um, that's just how it went. And I'm like, troubled in my spirit. Y- y'all do know that Benny Hinn came out last week admitting that all of his stuff was fake. Now, he hasn't offered to give back all the millions and airplanes and all that stuff yet. But he came out last week admitting that it was fake. That much of it was just show. It's it's just show. And, And so, church, here's the thing. We need to be sensitive to the Spirit. So here's what I mean by that. If we come up with an idea, and and unfortunately, your staff and your deacons and your leaders, they are tasked with a senior pastor whose response to every question initially is no. No, I'm not kidding. Ask them. Hey, do you think no? Because I need time to process. I need time to be sensitive. I'm I'm, I'm a decision maker, yet if it's going to be new, and I know that it's going to break the status quo, I want us to really decipher it first. Are we changing just to change? Are we changing, though, to be more successful, more effective, more impactful? And, And so, Be sensitive to what the Spirit shows you in those things. I normally come back and say yes later. Number five, celebrate when God uses us. This is why, this is why, guys, we do events, no kidding, because I want you to get to celebrate what God is doing in this church. You do understand, back to school bash, we don't have to have people come here. You do understand that, right? All we got to do is pack the backpacks. We could take them to the school. I got big friends up there. I've got Mingus and Grant Boyer and Liz Turner. I've got, I've got all those friends. I've got Chrissy Martin and Esavo. We, we don't have to ha- like have everybody come here. Part of the reason we have them come here is not just to give them exposure to our church. I want you to get a chance to celebrate. 
Really, I, I want you to see it. I want you to see it. That's why we're telling you Project Connect next weekend. You, you want to be a part of that if you can because you're going to see a lot of great things happen. And I want you to enjoy that. I want you to experience God using our church, but using you. And so this brings us to our close. There's a couple groups of people here, just like there always is. There's there's a group here that, like me, has been in church for a number of years, and, and you are in love with Jesus, and you serve Him, and you want to grow, but just like my journey has at times, you may find yourself right now kind of stagnant, like it's just a little dry. I don't feel a whole lot. I'm not experiencing a whole lot. And you're not ditching the Word. You're still in the Word. Well, maybe this morning what you need to do during our response time is just come before the Lord and just ask Him for some newness, for a renewal. Lord, Lord is, is, it a, is it as simple as a Bible study? Remember, message doesn't change. Methods do. Is it a Bible study? Maybe it's a different group. Maybe it's a D group. Maybe it's a prayer group or somebody that gets together just to pray. Maybe you just need some of that revival and refreshness. Maybe it's, it's between the spouses or your children. Maybe it's a Bible study in your home. I don't know. Maybe something just to kind of spark the newness. Remember, David even cried out because, see, it could be sin. Don't, get, don't miss this one. It could be sin. David said, until my sin was confessed, I lost the joy of my salvation. So, so make sure it's not sin. But sometimes it's not sin. Sometimes it's just that we have become so comfortable as Christ followers, we just kind of lose fact that we're never to stop growing. And so if that's you this morning, I, I really want you to make a concerted prayer. I want you to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I just want you to open up my, eye, my eyes, my mind. I want you to show me what it is I can do to kind of get out of this, this stagnant moment. I, I want to be like David. I want to feel and experience your joy again. I'm not blatantly sinning. I'm not, I'm not trying to avoid you. I'm not neglecting you. I just, oh, I'm just kind of dry. What is it? Will you give me something? And here's the thing. The Bible says this. Jesus is very clear. If you seek me, you will find me. So maybe this morning we seek. But there may be somebody else here, and this is the group that I'm the most concerned with. Maybe you're here, and I'm talking about status quo, and all of a sudden you realize through God's Spirit, and you don't even know it's God's Spirit, but God's Spirit's communicating to you, hey, Justin's talking to you. It is your status quo that I'm concerned with, because if you stay just like you are, when you face death, you're not going to know me at that point. Maybe God this morning's calling you to be like Cornelius' family, to be saved, and you're like, you know what, Justin, I don't know why I feel this. I don't know why it's happening to me right now, but if you asked me to raise my hand, I actually would. That is me right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that is you and you want to change your status quo spiritually, I know that I am not a God-fearer. I know of God. I know about God. I don't know God. But I do want to commit myself to him. I know there is something greater than me and is him. If that is you this morning, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to have all these folks stand in just a few seconds. They're going to bow their heads. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk straight over here to these doors. You're not going to say anything to anybody. You're not going to come up front, not going to embarrass you in any way. You're going to walk straight over there to these doors, and there's going to be a part of our prayer response team waiting for you. And here's all they want to do. They want to take you to a place that's more private, and they want to explain to you what it means to change your spiritual status quo. Here's how you become a follower of Jesus. You don't have to commit to anything. You don't sign anything. You don't have to get dunked in water, not initially. That's not what we're asking here. We're just asking you to give us a chance to explain to you what the Bible says a Christ follower is and does.
If that is you this morning, when I start to pray in just a minute, right then is your cue.